Welcome to Behind the Curtain, LA Opera's podcast series in which we look deeply at the creative process and explore opera's enduring themes and power to move us. In this podcast, Michael Abels, composer of the score for Get Out, is interviewed by host Bruce Lemon Jr., actor, writer, producer, and director of LA Opera's 2020 production of The Anonymous Lover. Together, they discuss Mr. Abel's work with Get Out at the Ace Theater. Come see composer Michael Abel's conduct his disconcerting gospel horror original score, performed live by the LA Opera Orchestra and the amazing DC Six Singers, the performers heard on the soundtrack, on October 29th, 30th, and 31st, 2021. Tickets are available at laopera.org. Michael, it's it's great to chat with you about this upcoming um, performance of Get Out with a live orchestra at the Ace Hotel. It's, it's super exciting. I've seen the film uh, many times, but never with the live orchestra. And I would love to know how this opportunity even came about to revisit this project uh, and engineer this entirely new experience for folks. Well, uh, so first of all, Bruce, it's great to talk with you. Um, and I'm super excited about uh, Get Out with Live Orchestra. It came out because for people who may not realize it, recording or, or performing films with the score performed live is kind of a thing. Um, I believe it started with um, with John Williams and, and Star Wars movies because of the amazing music uh, that he always writes for films that he does. Um, but I was asked um, to do a version of Get Out and in part because um, there are very few films like that, like Get Out, that are done with live orchestra, and that it just makes it a really cool experience because it's it's one the film experience and two the live concert experience, but three also the the genre the you know the suspense or horror genre experience. The beauty about music in film is that it 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 affects people emotionally, but subliminally you don't. You, the, in fact, the music is designed often to not really cause you as an audience member to be aware of it. And so um, when you're at a concert, a film concert, you uh, both have the concert experience and the film experience, but then you also do realize how much detail and thought goes into the music of a film and how much it's every bit um, a performance as much as the, uh, the actors that you're viewing. There's so many people involved in the, the process of making a film and the orchestra is not a small group. It's a lot of people that come to the table to bring their skills and their and their talents uh, to contribute to this work. What was it like working with the uh, LA Opera's orchestra uh, on, on this production? Well, so we're having our first rehearsal soon, but uh, I have done this show in other cities before. And the orchestra is usually very uh, down to do something a little different for them because no matter what type of ensemble it is, doing this is not their normal thing. <laughs> um, but one of the things I have to warn them about is that, you know, a lot of them will have seen Get Out, but maybe some of them haven't. And so they might be used to audience reactions to films or to other, you know, shows, but Get Out is a film where people can scream one minute and be rolling laughing the other the next minute. <laughs> and, yeah. 
And if you've not experienced that, that can kind of throw you off. So I sometimes warned the orchestra. I said, okay, here, you can expect the audience to react this way. So we're just, so just be okay with that because when we finally do it with the audience, uh, there are times I like to watch the orchestra's faces just to see what their reaction is to doing it with an audience. Because, you know, often in concert music, there's kind of this, there's this cultural expectation that you, that the audience strives to remain silent, lest their sound interfere with whatever the experience is that's being offered. But, you know, uh, we like to talk back to our films a lot of people. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so, so, you know, um, so that's the kind of audience that we tend to have for Get Out in, with live orchestra. And, and I wouldn't have it any other way. I think that's what makes it um, really a unique experience. So anyway, that's what that's like working with the orchestra, getting them to use getting them to understand that we're in this cross-cultural place that we are, that, that Get Out functions in. Oh, yeah. I imagine there's going to be a lot of talking back to the screen. Also, a lot of really new everything with, with folks uh, coming back into uh, a large venue, again, sitting side by side and, and, and enjoying something in a, in a mass group, uh, which we just haven't had a chance to do for so long. Uh, and to do it around uh, a film that um, that many people have an experience with, uh, it's like a series of all brand new experiences for a lot of people that are going to come out to 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 check it out. The Ace, the, the you can feel the music like in your seats and your back. It's it's around it by you. But how how different is it for you? Oh well, for me, you know, my job <laughs> is to make sure that it all happens for for other people's experience you know so in the music of live performance normally there's some nuance that's taken with the tempo for example and a lot of times orchestras are being asked to follow the singer and the singer is both a musician on one hand but an actor on the other and and some day some you know some nights uh, an expression needs feels like it needs to take a little longer and opera orchestras are very used to adjusting to the vibe of the performance of that moment. But with a film, music is timed to picture very precisely, incredibly precisely. And that can't be changed because it changes the, the experience in a way that is not what's intended. So I intend to conduct it exactly the same way every evening because that's what the film requires. From my perspective, it's I actually have this goal of making sure that it's that it's uniform in a way that a conductor for an opera would not have that as nearly as a priority. But when you're when you're doing it for film, the film requires that the score is delivered the same way. Now, within that, part of the great thing about the score to get out is that it's got singers, and it's got singers of color, and that was in one of the first things I talked to Jordan Peele about was the. I mean, he told me the importance of having the African-American voice, literally in the film, as well as metaphorically. And so we also actually bothered to perform the songs from the film that I didn't write, but just are part of, we do those live because we've got live singers, we've got a live, you know, we want to do them live. So we do uh, this great Childish Gambino song called Redbone. We do that live. And there's this creepy song called Run Rabbit Run. We do that live. We even do, we even do that, uh, Bill Medley, I've had the I've had the time of my life. We do that song live because we can, <laughs> and oh, great. and all that's you know that's our way of having it be um, matching the film and yet having it be live and letting you get the live experience. So um, 
So I have the pleasure of having to, of being the traffic cop that keeps all of that happening in a way that feels spontaneous, but is in fact time to picture. Uh, another thing that um, I, I heard you mention it again, and it stuck with me so uh, heavily, is the about the power of silence within a score, um, the power of silence within storytelling, uh, and how to effectively use silence. And can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah. Um, among the thing, when in this first talk I ever had with Jordan Peele, one of the other things that came up with was how important silence is. And he said, I want silence to be part of the score. And one of the first things I ever played for him um, when we just were starting to work on the music were these chords that represent the, the sunken place. Uh, Chris in, in Get Out goes to, is hypnotized and he goes to a place called the sunken place. And it's, um, as you can tell from the description, it's a, it's a, it's a, an empty void. And so I played these four chords for Jordan, but I, I put space between them. One, because I knew that that's what he would like, but two, it's an empty void. So how can it not have silence in it, right? By filling it up, you're kind of filling it up with sound. You are in a sense going against what it represents. So if music was going to work in that space, it had to still feel empty. So um, I played those chords. He goes, oh, I like that. And then I was I was like, oh, God, please let me remember what I just did. <laughs> but luckily I did. So, uh, so you will hear and get out the most, the, the, the clearest example of that is when Chris first falls in slow motion into the sunken place, you hear these four chords and they are separated by really long pauses. And yet it wouldn't be the music it is if it didn't have the pauses in it, right? So the pauses are, the, the, the negative space is very much a part of the positive space. It's amazing. Um, uh, I've uh, heard a uh, legend of of, of how uh, uh, Jordan Phil spotted your work on YouTube and brought you in to get out uh, and brought you into what a lot of people know your work for now, but you've had a long career prior to this. Can you talk about a little bit about your, your journey um, and your uh, connection, deep, deep roots in LA uh, as well? Yeah, absolutely. So um, I've been writing music since I was a kid and I had always thought I was would want to write music for film and for media projects because music to me is storytelling regardless of the genre. And, and I even did some TV commercials like in, I went to USC, so I've been here my whole, my whole adult life here in LA. And um, I've certainly been doing media scoring from a young age, but I never had any traction getting into the industry. I really, nothing happened for me. So what did happen was um, some concert music and I would get uh, commissions to um, write concert music, um, not often enough to have that be a full-time job, but often enough to feed my artist, you know, and, um, and to give me a chance to express myself. So I would write um, concert music um, for orchestra and some of those ended up on YouTube and I got, you know, several dozen hits, but one of them turned out to be Jordan Peele. And that's how uh, he found me to score Get Out. But prior to that, among my other gigs were, was that I was um, a composer in residence at 
a number of organizations, one being the Watts Towers Art Center. I was the teacher in one hand, but it's really the facilitator of a um, pop-up recording studio for any kids who wanted to show up and make music. And so every Saturday I would bring what amounted to the studio in the back of my car and pull it out and we'd set it up in one of the side rooms at the Watts Towers Art Center, which is primarily an arts, a visual arts space. It's not a, a music studio, but, which is why I would bring the studio. And then just, you know, kids who wanted to rap or make music and make beats could do that on a Saturday afternoon. They just had to hang out while it was their turn. And I would help them run the equipment, but not, I wouldn't be there to say, okay, kids, here I am to teach you. That wasn't the purpose of the program, you know, because everybody's creative. Everybody's creative in what they don't have, what people don't have is access to technology. And that was especially true back when you couldn't record on your laptop. And that's, this was around 1999, 2000. So oh, um, I was a kid walking running around Watts at the time. Uh, I was in high school. Well, that, yeah. this would have been a thing that would have been designed for you, Absolutely. You're, you know, and and actually, and the, the great part of the story is one of those kids grew up to be Nipsey Hussle. Right. And so there's a I have that L.A. connection. And so anyway, um, but at that same time, one of the other partners was a theater company you may have heard of called Cornerstone. Yes. Yes. And so I was a, as part of that same residency. I was a um, collaborating associate artist at Cornerstone. I got to write music for a couple of uh, Cornerstone's theater productions. And I think out of that, LA Opera heard of me. I think via a, there was a story in the LA Times about those projects I was doing. And then I got a call from LA Opera to write um, an opera for their uh, in schools program. So I ended up collaborating with playwright Bernardo Solano on a about a one, 45 minute, one hour opera that uh, LA Opera took to schools in a program that they had at that time that starred some of, some of their young artists who were in the young artist program. And that was called Homies and Pops. And it was about, um, was based on actually on the life of Ted Hayes, who's the homeless homelessness uh, advocate and, act, and activist who was really kind of ahead of the curve in advocating for the homeless in LA in retrospect. And he had, he had formed a, a cricket team, believe it or not, because Ted has this way of, Ted is a person who's like making anything he does seem cool and make people want to do it with him, regardless of what that is. So somehow Ted got involved in playing cricket. And he, so he talked his sons who were, I think, teens at the time and his son's friends, and then some of the homeless guys he knew into forming this cricket team. And so there's this cricket league in LA, I guess. Of, ex, of British expats and they'd play cricket. And so he had this cricket team made up of Americans, you know, of color who are the last people you would think would be playing cricket and they were playing cricket. And so Bernardo and I wrote this short opera about homies and pops, the cricket team. So that was my first um, project for LA Opera. So the doing Get Out, it would talk about my worlds colliding. This just shows <laughs> there's about four different aspects about this that all relate together here. Lovely. Uh, and uh, speaking more about uh, some connective tissue, uh, like I'm, I'm from Watts and I'm uh, Watts Village, and I'm, uh, and also I'm a member of Cornerstone uh, Theater Company as well. So there's, there's, uh, there's some things that are connecting the two of us. Um, so we'll have to talk about uh, what, all, all the stuff that you have uh, coming up. Let's see. So coming up for me are some really cool things. So I've written a piece uh, for the Kronos Quartet. 
um, based on a poem of Nikki Finney, who's a, a National Book Award winning poet. She's incredible. And she wrote this poem that is only a page long, but her words are so packed with meaning that I was able to get an, a, an 80 minute piece out of it. And it's for the Kronos Quartet and, and choir. And it's a, it's a song cycle. And um, Nikki reads a line from her poem and then the chorus sings. And, uh, and then she reads another line and that becomes another song. And, and all of this is accompanied by Kronos. And we're finally workshopping that uh, the week after, right after we finish Get Out With Live Orchestra here in LA. And then that's a premiering in at the University of Texas at Austin on November 19th and 20th. Um, that's in the works. And then I'm working on uh, the latest Jordan Peele movie. Oh. Yes, <laughs> and, and which I'm allowed to say I'm working on, but I can tell you virtually nothing else about. <laughs> I think I've seen the I've seen the poster. Yeah, <laughs> that's about it on Instagram. Yeah, he dropped the poster and uh, and uh, he says it's called Nope, and I think that's I can't tell if that's the real title or a, or or not. <laughs> what Jordan has always really been inspired by um, by the African-American, you know, frankness in response to threat or terror, <laughs> you know, which I think is actually relates to an old Eddie Murphy joke about that. But like, 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 yep, you know, like the black person with when, you know, I'm not going to that house. I'm out of here. <laughs> and, and, and that was when Jordan wrote the Get Out script, he that was his test of, I mean, one of the reasons Get Out won the script for best original screenplay is because. At no point does anyone and does any character do anything that you wouldn't do yourself in that situation. There's none of this. There's there in, in Get Out. There's no there's no moment where you say to the screen, "Don't go in that house." You know, not, you know, like in Get Out, all the characters are doing what you would do if you were in that situation. And it was, and that's because Jordan like had that. That was a really important litmus test for him in the script, and it was. First of all, because he's a great writer, but second, it he I think he was very present to that black person's voice <laughs> next to him, looking at the screen, going, "Nope, <laughs> like, nope, I'm not going in there. I'm not going to. I'm out of here." You know. <laughs> so, so it's not. So it's a movie that that where you can really understand when the character does something that maybe heightens the terror rather than lessens it you can understand why the person got himself into that position. You know, he was trying to do the thing that made sense. <laughs> Absolutely. Are you currently a fan of horror films or uh, just the ones you work on? <laughs> well, I, you know, I'm more a fan than I used to be a lot more, but I was the type of kid who was terrified. Like I would have nightmares over films that weren't even trying to be scary. Just something that just set me off. I would have nightmares. So there was a point in college where I thought, you know, if I ever get a job doing this, it's probably going to be a horror movie because you know, I, I just, I somehow knew that. So I actually went, <laughs> I went to a triple feature on Hollywood Boulevard and then there was a cinema that used to be like, it was like $6 for all day or something. And I went to a triple feature of horror movies and I sat for six hours and watched horror movies. And I had nightmares all night, but I tell you, it actually kind of cured me. <laughs> but these days, so I'm still not like Jordan at the time I met him, you know, 
he had seen every horror and suspense film made, I think. He certainly had seen all the ones that were any good. And he was not only had he seen them, he was a student of them. Like he could tell you why they worked. And I had always been the person who had avoided, you know, it was accidental if I managed to see a film that turned out to terrify me, I had avoided them. So people sometimes ask me, what's your favorite horror score? And I'm like, um, <laughs> you know, cause I have a, my catalog isn't very deep, but I, I, I mean, The Shining is a classic movie. It's just, just so terrifying. And the score is mostly um, contemporary classical concert music that has been, you know, that the director chose to put in the score because it was so terrifying, even without the picture. And so I'm a huge fan of that. I mean, I think part of the reason, if I'm successful at doing music for horror films or horror situations, it's because I'm legitimately... I'm like, like legitimately terrified by what's happening. I'm, I'm, I'm not trying to terrify you as much as I'm just responding in my art to what the character is experiencing. You know, like actors, when you, when you score a film, you watch a scene again and again and again and again. And I'm always struck at just how great actors are at making the, the, the emotions seem legitimate. And I'm trying to do the same in my art. I'm trying to, channel an emotion as authentically as the, I feel like the actor is able to do. Um, so, you know, so it's terrifying to me. <laughs> yeah. Uh, can you talk a little about gospel horror? Yeah. So gospel horror was the term that I coined, I think in, in the conversation with Jordan about what the score should be like for Get Out. He said, I, you know, it needs to have the African-American voice, both literally and metaphorically, but also he said, you know, African-American music, it all, it all has some sense of hope in it. Even the blues, there's this sense of hope. And I thought just what a brilliant comment that was. I had never thought about that, but it seemed really insightful. But even as brilliant as that was, he said, but I need you to drain all the hope right out of it. Can't have any hope. <laughs> so I said in response, I said, I think it sounds like you're talking like about gospel horror. And neither of us really knew what that meant, but it was, it was a talking, it was a way of coining an example of what it is you're trying to do. You know, when a lot of times you're creating art and you don't have a way of explaining what you're doing, but, it, but if you can find a way, it helps crystallize your idea, having to put it into words. So I thought, okay, gospel horror. So I went home. And then I wrote a couple of demos about what those words meant to me. And one of them ended up being um, Siki Lisa Kwawahenga, which is, um, and which ended up being the main title for Get Out. But I wrote that before the film was shot. I wrote that in response to this conversation with Jordan and the concept of gospel horror and what would that sound like if it was a real thing. So the, the, the process of, uh, of scoring a film can go several different ways. You said in this case, you, you made that music prior to filming. Yeah, so that was, that was written beforehand, but 
most of the music for a film is written after it's shot in post-production. And the reason for that is that music is ultimately, music is, a, is an art that takes place in time. If you think about it, time is the canvas of music. Um, if there, and your, no matter what your, music can be however long you want, but that's framed by a period of time. So film needs to, the film needs to be edited together in some version before you can really get a sense of what the emotional contour of a scene is. You know, in a scene, a character goes through some kind of emotional journey, which is part of a bigger story. And the music's gonna wanna help um, literally underscore that emotional journey that the character's on. But does that journey take 15 seconds or does it take, you know, four minutes? There's a world of difference in those two amounts of time that a character might experience exactly the same thing, let's say. You know, you could tell a scene in 15 seconds or in four minutes and the character's emotional journey might go from A to B, the same A to B, but the, the, the nuances in the middle would be completely different. And that's what music does. So mostly you've got to score a film in post-production when you can get some sense of what the timing is of that journey. But before a director goes into production, there's a, series, there's a, a phase called pre-production in which they're making all sorts of choices, most of which have to do with the production, most of which visual things like costumes and locations and backdrops and everything that would be in the frame has to be picked out before you get there. And so in that period, a, a, a lot of directors or more and more now, I think, like to do a little bit of musical production design too, to kind of get that in their head and see what it might be. If you have the opportunity to write music beforehand, you know, there's less time pressure and you have a chance to really talk through the look, if you will, of the music with the director. And then that music can end up informing the director in visually as they're shooting the film. And that can be really, really cool because the composer, you know, doesn't, it, the composer's not on set. Everybody else who's that related to the film mostly is they have this wonderful experience of being on set and being part of a family and they all have this experience. And then the composer is off in the dark by herself or himself and not participating in that. So, but if you have music that is brought to the set or that people understand is going to be part of it, um, then you get to feel like you participate in this way. That's very um, cool. So um, I did, I did, Siki Lisa Kwabahenga in pre-production. And I also did the theme from Us, the, the piece called Anthem. Um, I did that uh, in pre-production as well. Wow, uh, so uh, two down, one more uh, one more to go thus far with, with Jordan. Um, uh, and thus far, they've all been uh, very, very, very exciting films. Uh, with this first one with Get Out, uh, was there uh, a certain um, scale that you were working uh, on? on the, the scoring of the film before it was picked up and then it, did it grow? And once it got uh, proper distribution and, and be, started making its way towards being the hit that it has been? There was a little bit of growth in that. First of all, Get Out was shot for under $5 million, which is a very small amount of money for making a movie. And at that time, there was never any, uh, I was told, by production that you know there wouldn't be any opportunity to have a live score that it would all be digital um, in the box as we as we would say um, besides the singing because uh, there isn't really a way to do what the singers were doing in that score 
digitally. Some of it you can, but not all of it. So there were the singers. But the film, it was clear near the end that, um, so Universal uh, thought that the film could, you know, they realized they wanted to distribute it. And when they decided that, then they um, were willing to put a little bit of their budgetary muscle behind it. And so um, what that meant for the score was that I I was able to record with live musicians and that um, really went a long way toward enhancing the quality of the film overall, because uh, when I was scoring Get Out, I never in a million years thought that I would be conducting it with live orchestra on stage for everyone. I mean, <laughs> that's a, <laughs> uh, I, I was, I mean, I, I thought that Get Out, I, you know, I loved the script and it was clear to me that Jordan was a genius, but uh, I didn't know if the, I thought the film would be very polarizing and I thought it might have a few fans, but didn't know um, that it would open number one at the box office and go on to do what it's done. I mean, that part was just blew me away. Um, but so I, so because of that, I never thought I would be conducting it with live orchestra, but now we're able to, even some of the things that weren't live musicians in the actual score, we actually now do live. <laughs> Um, in the score, like it's all live now, you know, and so uh, it's just, it's a thrill to be able to have that actually happen. Where do you feel uh, um, more at home when you're in a room with other artists uh, collaborating and making that work? Uh, or uh, when you're in your own lab uh, by yourself coming up with the ideas and generating? You know, that's a great question. I have a lot more experience being at home by myself, that's for sure. So you know, you tend to gravitate toward the, the familiar, I think, because you're used to it. But the reason I do what I do at home is so that I can collaborate with people. <laughs> like that, that's, that's the, the reason. That's why I would be doing, you know, and when I wasn't doing film, was I primarily doing, was I making beats or, you know, things like that? No, I was primarily writing for orchestra, which is this long, complicated thing. And why does the person do that? It's so that you can make this blueprint that musicians can turn into this wonderful thing and so that musicians can play together. And I, I can barely talk about how sacred and magical it is for musicians to play together without getting choked up because I just, it's that powerful to me because I get to, as a composer, I feel like you're the the best music you write never feels like you're writing it. It feels like you're just transcribing, like it's already there and you're just bringing it to the world. And you always, as a composer, you're striving to get to that place where it doesn't feel like you're part of the process. It just feels like you're transcribing. And you have days where you're clearly in that zone and you have other days where you're not. And you just kind of have to be persistently patient Um, and knowing that being there, when you get there, it's a blessing, but it's not something you can expect. So, um, but I do that so that I can collaborate with artists, even when I'm not there. I mean, when music of mine is performed and I'm not present, I am present because my heart and soul is in the notes that they're playing. So when I do get to be there and when I get to conduct, I mean, that's a huge blessing. And I feel really, really, really lucky. Um, and it, I have to remember every time that I uh, do get out live, 
with live orchestra, I go through a, a phase of remembering what it is to be the onstage artist instead of the behind the scenes artist. And so, and I, I when I first pick up the baton, as it, when I begin to practice and remember the score and everything, I'm, I'm like, how do I do this again? <laughs> but, but I, then I, you know, I go through my, and I'm like, okay, now I'm ready. And then I get with the orchestra and they support me and help me. And then, and then I remember, oh yeah, I'm a musician. I perform music. This is beautiful. You know, so uh, you're, you're talking to me midway through my, my transformation into, into that, that stage. So. That's beautiful. That's beautiful. I'm glad to to catch you uh, in 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 that uh, in that transitional phase of this of this current moment. Uh, how do you prepare for um, for that for that first day? Oh my gosh! Well, there's lots. So you, a rehearsal is it's a lot of things, and your um, you know the goal is to get people ready to do a great job. But getting people ready does not involve starting at the beginning and going to the end always. Um, it involves things that would be, you know, technical challenges for reasons that that might be really dull to explain. But <laughs> but there's a there in 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 doing any kind of performance, there are places that need work so that everybody stays together and everyone understands what's going on. And, and rehearsal time is limited, so you spend your time in a way that's it's kind of it's pretty technical because you're wanting to make sure that you cover all the things that might be a problem. And you got to prioritize those things. You don't get to say, okay, everybody, let's enjoy this music. <laughs> That's not the, the priority is to make sure that the audience can enjoy. So therefore you're rehearsing the things that might prevent the audience from enjoying it, if that makes sense. Um, but then in, inside of making sure you take care of business in this very practical way, there's a chance to um, enjoy and celebrate what that is. I mean, part of it is we're still in a, in a phase where anytime we get together to make music or or you know, entertain people. It's a celebration of just being able to do that again, and that for sure is part of the part of it. Um, there's also a um, because it's such a different sort of project. There's the a little bit of educating the musicians or explaining to them some of the techniques that I want. There are places where they make sounds that are that are completely ugly and horrible, except that's what we want, and it's perfect for the picture, you know. And there's the singers who are doing their thing and it's not maybe the normal thing that they would be used to um, having the singers do. And, and, they, and we move from, you know, music that's kind of atonal and dissonant to suddenly doing a pop song in the space of like that, you know, <laughs> and, and everybody's got to, and, and then there's that old timey song that sounds like it's from 1910. Well, it is from 1910. The question is, how do you suddenly play that music versus you know another style of music and make sure that everything fits together? So I'm helping everybody switch genres really quickly and making sure that they know yes that's that's right that's what we're doing. <laughs> this is how this goes. Uh, and um, and there's also then there's there's technical challenges of running the film. I have great help from uh, the production Black Ink Productions runs the the film during the show and they do great. And, and also the sound of the film that's not the score has to be integrated in as well. If you think about that, that's a thing. Um, and so, but when we're rehearsing that you have to make sure the film goes with you or there's not really a point in rehearsing the music. So, um, so you have that challenge too. So that's part of what we do. So there's, there's a cut of the film that just doesn't have the score in it that is ran? Correct. There's a very special cut of the film that is never shown elsewhere. 
Well, I mean, I, I think of the sound of a film of having three components. One is the dialogue. Two is the sound design, which means all of the ambient sound or sound of other things that is not music and not dialogue in a film. Everything from just the ambience of the room to the sound of footsteps or a door slam or what have you. And then there's the score. And so the only part that's taken out of the film is the score. The, that leaves the dialogue, of course, and all of the general ambient sound in the sound design is still in, in the movie. And there are some things in Get Out that are very important for people to hear at a certain volume. You know, there, there are just sounds that happen that really are part of the storytelling. And those sounds have to be present and they have to be as loud as they're supposed to be. So it's very much like um, when a movie is mixed, all of these elements are married by a very highly trained recording engineer with many, many, many tracks at his or her disposal. Um, mixing sound for a film is quite a thing. And that has to be done live in the concert when we do get out with live orchestra. You know, that's, yeah, that's still, you gotta still hear the dialogue and the sound design and the score, and it's gotta sound like a movie. So they've gotta all be married and someone's gotta do that. And so thank God for Black Ink being back there on the mixing board, because that's a huge, important kind of dynamic component of making the show work. Oh, it's uh, so interesting for, for an element that, element of the storytelling that is so very present but also it's not the visual picture so it's it's it's, it's holding everything together it's very present uh, but it's not seen but in this case it is seen you can see all the humans that are on the stage making all of the all, all, all of the sound that you're hearing to support the storytelling uh it's such an exciting experience um, I'm really excited to 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 check it out and for folks to to come in and get that experience um, again. Because also, uh, I know that uh, I had an experience uh, of just hearing hearing live music perform for the first time after a long hiatus and what it what it did to my body, how it affected me, um, and what that does to a room full of people um, who are both like listening and working. Uh, is is really incredible um it's something to be missed and uh something i'm glad we're able to to go back to this should be very exciting uh is there anything uh else that you would like to uh impart on our audience before they uh buy their tickets if they haven't already and make their way to the ace only just that uh thanks for coming out it'll be beautiful meaningful spiritual to see you and um we're all really super excited to perform for you and to just have an experience of, of live theater <laughs> and a live concert uh, with you. And uh, if you can spend Halloween weekend with us, come on down. Fantastic. Fantastic. Uh, once again, folks, I'm, I'm Bruce Lemon, and we are here talking with Michael Abels about Get Out Live at the Ace Hotel with the live orchestra and the DC Six Singers. Thank you so much for having this conversation. I look forward to having more. Maybe we should take a, a ride from, uh, from the park to the playa uh, one of these days and have a conversation. We totally should. That would be great. Let's make it happen. You've been listening to LA Opera's Behind the Curtain. If you've enjoyed listening to this podcast, you'll want to make sure you don't miss an episode. Please subscribe and leave a rating or review on Apple iTunes, Google Play, or wherever you listen. Remember to share with your friends on your favorite social media, and we'll see you at the opera. Mm -hmm.